Marketing and Machines, sponsored by Facebook. Uncover the latest trends in machine learning and automation that are helping advertisers unlock new phases of growth. Hello, and welcome to episode two of Marketing and Machines. I'm Rebecca Sentence, the Deputy Editor at eConsultancy, and I'll be your host on this podcast, which is sponsored by Facebook. The aim of this series is to explore the use of AI and machine learning in marketing. In the last episode, Marketing Week editor Russell Parsons looked generally at the opportunities and challenges posed by the technology. In this episode, we're going to look specifically at media planning. For this discussion, I'm joined by our guests, Niran Channa, the Chief Commercial Officer at Gymshark. How are you doing? And I'm joined by Pete Buckley, who is the comms planner at Facebook. Good to be here. Thank you both very much for joining me. So I thought, first of all, we could talk a bit about the context for media planning at the moment and the impact that the current pandemic is having on shopping. I wanted to turn to you first, Niran. Obviously, we're seeing a big uptick in e-commerce at the moment as a percentage of retail sales. The last ONS figures, um, which were for May, had it at a third of retail sales or 33.4%. And fitness has been such a preoccupation for people during the lockdown, but the clothing sector as a whole is obviously experiencing difficulties. So what has the picture been like for you and what what are things like for Gymshark at the moment? Yeah, it's been an interesting few weeks, few months now um, since obviously uh, COVID started. We we as a business sort of went into lockdown almost like everyone else uh, mid-March and the reality is, you know, it's it's affected everyone in some way, shape, or form. Um, again, no one's sort of invincible. There is no playbook to COVID as well in terms of, you know, what do you do? So, uh, we sort of regrouped as a leadership team pretty early on. I think, firstly, it, it affected us pretty hard where we had a London pop-up store that was sort of going on. Um, we don't do a lot of in-real-life sort of activation. It's very new to us as a brand. Um, and, yeah, it was really unfortunate that we had to close that down. But, for the right reasons of the safety of our staff, um, uh, sort of uh, not just employees, but the public as well. So we had to close that down and everything shifted pretty quickly to um, what was a community focus as well. Um, it wasn't about sort of, you know, for us, we made a decision very early on to say, we're not going to buy ourselves out of trouble. You know, we weren't going to turn sort of into a sale orientated business almost overnight. But yeah, we had to do the right thing um, around sort of what was the brand and community. So yeah, the model that we sort of deploy, which is a, you know, direct to consumer model really helps us and it facilitates us we don't have bricks and mortar footprint to really worry about apart from what was a like i said the pop-up activation but things shifted to a community focus um we we did uh we got a couple of very cool sort of initiatives um on the ground sort of up and running very very quickly so we put a digital um pt program together which gave uh, members of our community of which you know a lot of them are personal trainers we put them essentially on our social media platforms gave them profile and what was the ability for you know our our, uh, our cohorts to get involved in online workouts and that sort of stuff we put a big focus towards our conditioning app we actually have an app that's out there in the market now which is all geared around sort of you know wellness and whatnot so big focus towards that and then we rolled out an nhs campaign which you know i'm really proud to say we raised over two hundred thousand pounds for the nhs which was all geared around posting your sweaty selfie so every sweaty selfie that we received that uh, had the appropriate hashtag gymshark donated five pounds per selfie and we tried to get that sort of viral and that was really great to see and then from i guess from a business point of view what we see what we've seen during lockdown was we ensured that we and deployed like home relevant sort of um, accessibility so we had a home workout collection a home comfort collection that sort of went live there was no changes made in trading activity you know no sort of unplanned 
uh, markdown or anything like that. And I think what I'm really, I guess, most proud to say is that we we held our commitments to our suppliers. Um, it, we didn't cancel out of any inventory. Um, we made some pretty bold statements as well, where we invested in more inventory during COVID as well to ensure that you know we're well sort of covered in seasons to come. Um, and yeah, everything else was very much geared around safeguarding of um, our workforce, our warehouses, our distribution centers, etc. So yeah, interesting time. Um, and yeah, I think we've learned a lot. There's definitely some very resilient people that are going to come out of this at Gymshark. So um, tough learning uh, for sure. But you know, very fortunate to say that we're we're prospering at the same time. That's all really interesting. I think I missed a trick not uploading my sweaty selfie, which sounds like good fun. It's interesting that you talk about, you had one physical store that was in operation, but on the whole, you have a direct-to-consumer model that enabled you to cope fairly well. But within that, there's obviously demand for content, there's changing product strategy. I wondered, turning to you, Pete, if you could give us some idea, particularly among multi-channel retailers who have lots of brick-and-mortar stores, what's the situation looked like over the past few months? Are all of these retailers having to rapidly rethink their strategies? So what is the impact on paid media and particularly how it can be optimized with AI and machine learning? Yeah, it has a big impact, as you'd imagine. Uh, a lot of our advertisers, as across the board, have been completely changing their their approach. But one thing that I guess a lot of people don't understand with the machine learning behind optimization on our platform and platforms like it is that it does take time to uh, to learn how to optimize and any big change that you make to a campaign creative audience or even budget and uh, knocks it backwards uh, and means that the machine learning has got to learn again and we call that the learning phase and basically what we found is it takes on average 50 actions so they could be lead gen or conversions or, or sales before the ad delivery system really gets a good understanding and can efficiently drive whatever the outcome is that you're looking for. So all these changes have meant that a lot of those learning phases, those 50 actions have been set back and therefore the machine has, has got to learn again about, uh, about who, who's in market, who's most likely to convert and who, who's most interested in the um, in the different products. But I think what it does mean is that more than ever, machine learning is becoming more important because when things become less certain and when uh, planning by humans can't sort of predict who's going to buy, then the machine learning part of our platform allows you to optimize directly through the behaviors that are being seen there and then rather than presuming who's going to be in the market for your product going forward so we're seeing that and we've seen this before covid but now within covid that those advertisers who are leaning more heavily on automation are seeing better results we have a a playbook for how to optimize online sales called the power of five and basically that looks at the five different actions you can take to use machine learning to drive sales more effectively. But I guess in the case of where everything's changing and people who were once in market may not be in market anymore, the machine learning can only work to the frame that you've set it. So what we're finding with a lot of advertisers is maybe their the audience who used to buy their product is, is changing. Potentially, that could be due to more older people are doing online shopping, for for example, for a very broad example. If you set the target audience strictly to who used to buy your product 
or who've shown signals in the past, then obviously you're restricting the ability of the machine learning to find new people. So what we're finding is more advertisers and retailers are broadening their target audiences to make sure that they're finding those people, not who have bought in the past or like people who've bought in the past, but anybody who's in in market. And that's a big shift that we're seeing at the moment on the platform. And when you talk about those signals, I know that the consumer behaviors that go into estimating whether someone is going to click, I was wondering if, Pete, you could talk a bit about whether there are specific things that you've seen change in consumer behavior. I'm thinking about things like, uh, we know that social media usage has has gone up a lot during the lockdown, but app usage, that kind of thing, or, or browsing behavior. Is there anything particular that stands out in shopper behavior at the moment that has been a notable change? Uh, yeah, I, I think a, a few things to, to mention here. Firstly, is just the, and you mentioned it at the beginning in your introduction, just the the broadness and the scale of people buying online has obviously significantly increased. One of the drivers of that, I think even as we come out of lockdown, what we're seeing is that over half of UK adults expect to visit stores less frequently or spend less time in stores going forwards. And as you mentioned, the ONS have shown our Cut e-commerce is cut of all retail sales is up to around a third now. The latest prediction is it will be 27% of all retail sales for the rest of for 2020. And that makes the UK have the largest proportion of e-commerce sales anywhere in the world behind China. Uh, so it's a, a significant change to how people are buying. And it's changing who's buying as well. Um, so we've seen a broader, and I say an older audience, starting to purchase more online. So 83% now of Gen X and uh, boomers bought online in the in the last month. And that's sort of getting to parity with those younger generations as well. So that, that's a that's a, a really um a really big shift that we're seeing. And Niran, have you got anything to add based on what you've seen at Gymshark? Have you seen any noticeable shifts in your customer demographic or or the usage of your site or media over this period? Yeah, sure. It almost like Pete said, uh, I think just to really like echo that point that is around your traditional target demographic, albeit that is our core focus as well. That has now changed. The essentially what what was our very almost niche, I think the best way to sort of describe it, which was the 16 to 24 audience that Gymshark almost only really targeted through uh, you know through all means of sort of like social media and then all the way down into sort of paid media channels as well. That has now changed as well. You know, we've got to recognize the fact that people that wouldn't have traditionally shopped that way, that would have been, you know, go into bricks and mortar, touch it, feel it, see the product before, you know, investing by any means. That has changed over 40s. They're adopting significantly faster than anyone right now, I guess, by means of having to flex up to their traditional habits. Um, but I guess, you know, for the sake of transparency, we've been in a bit of a stormy phase in the last few weeks where I think all of the the, the tactics that have been in the investment stage of Gymshark becoming, you know, much more of a data centric business, like Pete said, you know, the machine has to have time to learn. Um, that is essentially out the window and was out the window a little bit. You know, when you when you're a stock based business like Gymshark that has got, you know, a very much brand um, brand focus around around ourselves. Um, it's all around resonating with your audience as best as possible and not almost looking to capitalize. I think now we're in the stage where what have we you know acquired in terms of new customer cohorts during this period t- of time do we almost treat 
COVID-19 as their own cohort of customers and, you know, what what does that look like versus this time last year or over the holiday season last year? Um, so, yeah, I think it's just about we've, you've got to look at this as a benefit. Who are, the, who are the people that have now interacted with Gymshark in the last few months that may not have traditionally done so, but because of our almost online presence, if you will, you know, we've come to the forefront of people's minds. So that makes an, an interesting time for the brand. I mean, when you're having to kind of rethink who you're actually marketing to and change the demographic that you were previously targeting, that you've grown the brand by targeting. I know Gymshark has grown a lot through influencers, through word of mouth. What does it currently look like at Gymshark away from Facebook and media optimization? What, what happens in-house in terms of data focus and, and your data department? Yeah, good question. So we've very recently taken a, a bit of a a shift for sure, a mentality shift uh, in terms of data and making it much more prominent within the business internally. Um, we, for you know, as long as I've been at Gymshark now, nearly six years, and we were very much a brand first, social media first, a huge element of just winging it involved as well in terms of what is right when you're making data-centric decisions. That is your buying strategy, how much investment goes into stock, how much investment goes into channel media. Um, we now have a data team at Gymshark centric, uh, like sort of in a very centric position as well. Um, it sort of ties together what I'd call the front and back end of the business alongside the commercial team. Um, you know, we have a chief data officer now, Gemma Holbert, who is amazing to work with as well and her new ways of thinking that she's bringing to the business. And it will be one of the biggest functions at Gymshark, probably alongside our tech and product teams uh, over time. That is data is the new oil kind of analogy where how do we um, almost brand data in the way in which we've done a really good job i think at actually the forefront of our brand you know we're trying to make data sort of very cool very relevant resonating with our audiences as well even from like an employer branding point of view we're taking it very very seriously in terms of the nature of the people that we want to bring into the business everything from people to reporting tools and analytics that have been sort of a huge investment this year gone are the days when I was a trading manager not that long ago as well, pulling lots of manual reports left, right and center. And now the science that I see us using sort of internally um, is incredible. It's well out of my remit, which is great to sort of be able to say um, that we've moved forward like that in such a short space of time. But yeah, we will definitely be deploying sort of data-led decisions around the future of our customer acquisition and retention strategy, even to the extent where, you know, I look after merchandising at Gymshark and very recently I've had the data team involved in how we can make better demand-led orientated decisions. So what does our range plan and investment in stock, which is ultimately our biggest risk as well as reward, what does that look like over the next few years and how are we going to use sort of data to power those decisions as well? Yeah. And we were talking about China earlier, or at least Pete, you mentioned it briefly. I know the industry has been looking at trends that are happening there, despite it being quite a different market, with them being ahead of emerging from lockdown and buying trends. So when we're talking about customer behavior, is there anything that you look to China for in terms of strategies that you think that retailers might adopt? Yeah, definitely. It's always fascinating to look over to China and see what's happening Um with the um, with new ways of, of selling. I think the live streaming is interesting for the West, um, for Mia especially, because what we've seen over the COVID period is lives growing very quickly on both Facebook and Instagram. A lot more people going live, a lot more creators going live, and even a lot more brands now going live. So there's definitely some potential there that people are getting more used to that behavior. They're expecting brands and creators to go live. It's been shown by what we've seen 
in Southeast Asia that this has potential. It's not guaranteed that this type of live selling is going to take off across Europe, but there's definitely potential there. I mean, for Singles Day over in China, 7% of Singles Day sales in 2019 in the 24 hours uh, came from live streaming on social media, which is uh, about 7%, doesn't sound very, very much, but it was $3 billion of revenue. So th there's a bigger opportunity there. I think it will be a slight step change for behavior uh, across Europe. We've not seen much of this live streaming social selling as yet, but there's a, a, a big opportunity for those brands that you know take the first steps in the in this space. Yeah, the live commerce trend is a huge thing for China in retail, and it's particularly exploded during lockdown with people wanting that entertainment factor as well as the ability to purchase things online. But so far, we haven't seen anything like it take off in the West just yet. Niran, do you think this is something that you can see influencers at Gymshark pushing for via their platforms or yours? Yeah, for sure. I think China is a very interesting conversation, I guess, between the four walls of Gymshark internally, where um, it's definitely something that we're going to explore, um, I think, to get the key for me is almost especially sort of in my role and looking across our other sort of go-to-market leads is you know your proposition has to be right in China to start with what I mean by that is you know product service not just delivery but you know there's a whole different consumer experience when you're shopping online almost that step-by-step walkthrough of consumer experience where you've got someone sort of um, you know facilitating the sale through every stage of the journey there's a lot of scaling to do for obvious reasons and yeah it's I think it almost starts with that but on this topic specifically yeah I think you know we've seen for example the rise of even platforms like TikTok as well Gymshark's engagement on TikTok is, has been phenomenal in its inception stages getting us to almost you know a million followers I think it was in record time versus our other social handles sorry Pete that's not a dig at Facebook specifically at all but yeah there's uh it's it's great to see that whole the whole live model again we utilize the live model around the digital pt program that i talked about um sort of earlier on that we deployed during covid and yeah i think there is how do you turn that almost getting people to engage in a live sort of environment and then actually turning that into a convertible sale it's it's an interesting one for gymshark because we are again i thought i think i've alluded to this where we're a brand over a retailer at any given point and that's coming from me who is the retailer at gymshark it's, it's kind of hard to say at times but how do you get somebody engaged into a live environment whether that is via a workout with one of our influencers or is it a you know an up-and-coming influencer that is in, in china for example when we do start exploring that how do you turn that into a call to action of which we can ultimately convert a sale out of um it's a hard one to sort of like blend in without sort of looking pushy or too salesy and whatnot as well we have done some tests and learn around it we very recently did an online event we called it lift online traditionally what we've done in the past is we've gone to different cities around the world and we've branded them as we lift your city events where it's been retail combined with athlete meetups and you know that is the equivalent of live but irl uh, and we actually did a um we did a lift online event a few weeks back and it was really interesting taking the learnings from that you know we had different sort of macro and micro influencers from around the world getting involved and just to see what it was like from an engagement point of view we use our own athletes we used sort of influencers in industry as well people like you know nicole scherzinger was involved and stuff like that which is really cool um but turning that into almost a sale we've got some work to do around that or turning it into something that could have a true sort of roi yeah it's an interesting question of how do you go from that content-led community side of live streaming to 
actually closing a sale. I mean, in China, part of the live commerce experience is in the ability to ask questions about the product and have those answered by the influencer. Um, it's almost like a Q&A style. And in the lockdown, this has almost been like a substitute for the in-store experience. It allows people to get a better sense of the product without being able to tangibly interact with it. So I suppose that lends itself to direct sales. But it brings me on to a question I wanted to ask you, Pete, about how you drive sales. We've got retailers who are each tapping into our advertising algorithms, which are optimized for click-through rate, and those take into account things like ad quality and bid levels. But when retailers are all using, like to an extent, the same black box and advertising is getting ever more competitive, what can they do to differentiate themselves and stay ahead of the competition over the rest of the year? That's a great question um, because it often looks from the outside that everyone's got the same sort of tools in their toolbox and, and they have to an extent but I think there are a few things that can give retailers an advantage the first is better understanding the shape of especially Q4 as it being so important for retailers what is the shape of that period and therefore how should we look at our investment across it so the shape we found has changed dramatically if we look at conversion data 2018 versus 2019 and plot it across Q4 then in 2018, what we saw was across Black Friday and Cyber Monday, there was a, a significant peak for maybe three or four days. What we saw in 2019 was that peak really grow over a fortnight. So two weeks of a significant peak. And that means when you invest, has to has to change. If you've got that knowledge beforehand, then you can preempt it. So one thing is better understanding the shape of the period that you're going into but also automation although everyone's got the same black box as you to use your language they don't use it in the same way so as i was mentioning at the at the start in the learning phase it takes fixed actions for the machine learning to optimize effectively now it's very tempting for advertisers to tweak and change whether that's changing their creative changing their targeting or even changing the budget as they come up to black friday and what that means is that it goes back to the beginning of the learning phase so really an advantage is discipline and restraint really setting your campaign up and letting it run getting those 50 actions and letting the machine learning learn and therefore optimize more efficiently going forwards another step that you can take definitely is expanding where your signals come from so one of the problems quite a few brands have who advertise on facebook is they don't sell their brand direct to consumers, so they'll sell through retailers like a lot, a lot of brands do. And in the past, one of the problems there is the, the signal strength that they get off their activity is pretty weak. It's either a click to an information website or potentially a click through to a retailer website where they won't get any, any feedback traditionally. What we've done now is released a product called Collaborative Ads, where if you're a brand that sells in a retailer, you can join collaboratively, you can partner that retailer, and that retailer will share signals from their website to allow you to optimize off behaviors that happen on their website. And obviously, that's a big step forward. So in the past, these brands would be optimizing towards simply a click. Now they're going to be able to optimize to an add to car or, or even a purchase. So expanding your signals and where you're getting them from through things like collaborative ads can really help. I think the third one, and you did touch on it in the in the question, but by far the biggest determiner of 
how successful you are over this period isn't so much the black box at all. It's, it's your creative and it is one of the biggest factors. And what we've found interesting over since COVID has began is that consumers seem to have more of an interest in the values that brands are are living to and the actions that they're taking. I guess, firstly, that was directly about COVID and how did they react to that? What did they do? How did they help? But now it seems that even more so people having this as a consideration before they make a purchase. So thinking about how you can focus on values as well as the product you're selling um, is an interesting way to get an advantage over your competitors. A good example is a, a different fashion band, not Gymshark here, but a fashion band called Little Mistress. And they basically, last Black Friday, they focused on their sustainable range, which is made from recycled bottles. And they saw a significant 94% increase in Black Friday sales. But what they also did in their campaign on this was allow people to interact with the creative. So they use something called polling ads, which allow you to ask people a question. So they asked, how many bottles do you think this piece of clothing is made from? You could then decide how many bottles you thought it was. And by adding that slight element of interaction, they saw a 24% lift in out to cart conversion in comparison to standard ads. So again, being more creative and leaning on your values, which are probably unique to your brand and your company, is another advantage that you can have over over your competitors. So just to follow up on that, and in a moment I'll get your thoughts, Niran, but I guess to someone who's not a media planner, I think of machine learning as better targeting or maybe something like dynamic creative with everyone seeing unique content, which might be a controversial idea among creatives. But do you have any thoughts on, if we look further down the line of the future of what this tech can do, do you see it doing more and more on the creative side? Or do you think that's a bit of a red herring in terms of the future of machine learning and advertising? No, definitely. I see it doing more on the creative side. It doesn't mean, obviously, ideas won't be important. Of course, they will more than ever. But I'll give you an example of what we've seen happening on the platform recently. So traditionally, the way advertisers use the platform is because it's very good at targeting, they segment their audience into different interest groups, let's say, and then they'd have a creative that focuses on like dog lovers, let's say, and we'll target to that to the people that like dogs. Uh, people who've just had a baby will target the baby copy to people who I've just had a baby, for example, and it would be a segmented view of the world, which the planner, the human, would decide where those different ads went. What we're finding now is some advertisers are taking a different approach, which is leaning more heavily on the machine learning. So what they're doing instead is saying, we've got a broad audience that we're interested in, but instead of allocating different creative to different segments, we're actually just going to create this range of creative executions and put them out to this broad audience and then let the machine learning uh, identify those people who are more interested individually in the different creative copy. And that's a completely different way of approaching the problem. So instead of predetermining these people will like this creative message, you're then allowing the machine learning to find those who the creative most resonates with most strongly. Uh, and it's a, it's a big step change. It's not saying that you know, the, the entire creative will be created by artificial intelligence, although maybe one day it will. This is saying you may have a set of creative. And now what we're finding is that machine learning can find more effectively than the planner who that creative best resonates with, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, it does. And it chimes with what in the first episode of, of this podcast, what Inez Urez from Deliveroo was saying about how you can have certain conversations with consumers via Facebook ads or any type of advertising in terms of what sorts of messages repeat customers respond to. She was talking about things like uh, you might have a dinnertime customer and you want to encourage them to order at lunch or you have a customer that's had a bad experience and you want to change your messaging and test that. I think there's an interesting parallel there, Niran, coming to someone with such a strong brand. What's the opinion from Gymshark about balancing brands and performance activity over something like a holiday period? So for us, it's it's really important about striking a balance over um, over Christmas and the sales period. So Q4 is a really interesting one for us. So we have Black Friday sort of kickstarts it in November, then you've got Christmas trading, and then you've got January, um, which is uh, all geared around what is a, a campaign called Gymshark 66, which we've run for the last couple of years. So it's really important about striking a balance between sort of brand and performance activity over that period of time. I think Pete's point around creative sort of call to action being the lead for all things kind of asset management over that period of time is really, really important. You know, we talked about earlier how brands sort of act today. They're the ones that are going to be remembered in the future. And, you know, the future for us is kind of what will be sort of six months away now is a, a very sort of important time for us around, you know, market share, customer acquisition, retention, all that sort of stuff. So our brand team are actually responsible for things like our blackout build, our, you know, Christmas campaigns, Gymshark 66, because we feel that, you know, that that upper funnel marketing that essentially gets, you know, engagement, clicks, views, et cetera, is really important to have, brand saliency at the core of all of it. The things that are the transactional ads that you see in the background are what my team within the sort of media cohort, they're responsible for ensuring that we're we're relative as to who we're targeting. But the most important part of call to action is, you know, the creative behind the campaign at the start. And saying that brand and performance mindset is really, really important. We we actually saw last year during November through to January trading period, you know, over 50% of our traffic that we see comes through sort of organic and direct channels, which is sort of huge sentiment to say that it's not things like, you know, CRM or paid social or search leading the way. And knowing that we sort of drive a lot of that engagement via, you know, our social medias, our, our athlete channels is really, really important to us. And if you were in the shoes of a multi-channel retailer, Niran, I know that Gymshark has done pop-up retail. What do you think they can take away from the way that you operate? For me, service proposition is paramount. So, you know, whether you're going in-store, whether you are, you know, an in-store shopper and now you're an online shopper, um, it's all about service proposition. You know, what I mean by that is stock availability, visual merchandising, uh, as opposed to sort of in-store merchandising, speed and cleanliness of the, the checkout process, the language in which you're being spoken to, you know, if you've got that experimental thing in which, you know, you like going into certain stores because it's the way you're talked to and treated and all of that, how do you put that online? If I was in the shoes of a multi-channel retailer going into what's going to be now Q4, think about your audience, think about how they like to interact with your brand, ensure that you've got viable stock status, that it's easy for them to get in and out of your store. And then, you know, the things that are associated to it by means of after sales, so delivery, returns, all that sort of stuff. It is really important to, I guess, flex and scale your business to ensure that when customers are placing orders for Christmas delivery, you know that they're not waiting X amount of days just because networks are clogged up for um, well, you know now sort of final mile and fulfillment uh, carriers. It's really important to plan accordingly. We're doing a lot of planning for Q4 almost now. And then things shift for us as well. We go from being quite transactional in um, 
November, but in an on-brand way into what was then, you know, sort of Christmas and New Year. So um, New Year is big for us. It sort of resides with our brand in that we want people to get back in shape, whether that is uh, physically or mentally. And we try to do that through the most sort of inclusive brand campaign possible. So um, yeah, if you guys haven't seen it, Gymshark 66 is huge for us. It almost talks back to why we started the business, what we're here for, what our purpose is. Lots of planning is going into that at this stage now as well. So yeah. Thank you, Niran. Finally, can I turn to you, Pete, and ask you about Black Friday and the holiday period, specifically on the role of machine learning and data? What extent do you think retailers and companies are limited by their own data strategy or data availability? I think they can be obviously significantly limited by the amount of data that they have. But there are a few steps, I think, that they can take to increase that amount of data and also use it more effectively to drive sales at a lower cost. I think the first step, especially across Black Friday and Christmas, is about when they start their activity. And starting earlier, we're seeing is more and more important. So we're constantly seeing across the last few years that people are buying and planning their purchases earlier in the Q4 season. So in 2019, just under half, so 41% of people said they started planning their purchases before the 11th of November. So a lot of people in market very early. And as I've spoken about earlier, the need to start early is also about data and machine learning It's really important that advertisers over this period don't just suddenly arrive just on Black Friday and and start their activity. It needs time to optimize. That learning phase needs to be completed. And if you make any major change, a change to the target audience, change to the creative, a change even to the budget, that's going to knock you back and bring you back to the beginning of the what we call the learning phase. So you need to make sure that's completed before the peak. So starting early would be one way. The second way would be about broadening your audience. It's very tempting, especially over this period, to focus just on those people you think are closest to purchasing your product uh, to get the lowest cost per acquisition. But actually what we find is those brands that target more broadly uh, see a better return. And I think this is an even bigger risk in 2020. Uh, We mentioned earlier that a lot of people are a little bit more afraid or a little hesitant about spending as much time in store, and they will probably limited their time in store in 2020 and Q4 2020. And that means where people discover products is going to change significantly. So you need to make sure that people, even those people who haven't started looking for your product specifically, can find it and discover it. And one way advertisers have been doing this on our platform is using something called dynamic ads for board audiences. And this, is, this isn't retargeting. This is quite different. What this allows you to do is to find people who are in market for your type of product before they visit your website or click on your ad or even search for you. So it uses signals from both the web and our Facebook to find those people who are in market for your type of product before they actually interact with your brand. And then it dynamically serves them the most relevant product in your catalog. And we found that this has really helped brands find new customers. So in comparison to standard dynamic ads, dynamic ads for broad audiences, on average, drive 22% more new buyers. So broadening your audience is definitely the second step. And the third step is something we call Q5. 
So we've done an in-depth analysis of CPMs, conversion rates, and ROAS over this period. And what it's showing is in the period between Christmas and New Year, we see CPMs drop off. Uh, it becomes a lot, a lot cheaper, but we don't see a drop of conversion. And therefore, to drive conversions over that period is relatively cheap in comparison to the rest of the period. So there's a big opportunity, hence we call it Q5, for keeping some budget aside for this period and driving more cost-efficient sales over that period. Thank you for that. I think it's fascinating listening to that, to think about the journey that social advertisers have been on over the past few years and how sophisticated the algorithms are and the mechanisms involved. I mean, definitely over the latter part of this year, or Q5, as you put it, as you put it, is going to be interesting as we watch it play out. So that's all we've got time for today. Thank you to both of our guests, to Niran Chana from Gymshark. Yeah, no, appreciate you having me and uh, hopefully see you guys soon. And thank you to Pete Buckley from Facebook. Uh, Really interesting discussion. You've been listening to episode two of Marketing and Machines, sponsored by Facebook and brought to you by Bauer London Creative with me, Rebecca Sentence and producer Tim O'Donoghue. You can subscribe to the series via iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. The final episode will be hosted by Eliza Williams, editor of Creative Review, and will explore technology's role in creativity. Marketing and Machines, sponsored by Facebook. Uncover the latest trends in machine learning and automation that are helping advertisers unlock new phases of growth.